All right, good morning. If you would please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8 is our text this morning. In the ancient world, uh, in a city like Corinth in Paul's day, one of the ways that people often supported the local temples and one of the ways they practiced their religion uh, would be by taking an animal to the temple as an offering. Right, so let's say that you were living in the ancient world and you wanted to start a new business. Uh, one of the ways that you would make sure you got the support of a god like, say, Apollo, um, is you would go to his temple and take a goat with you to offer so that at the very least Apollo wouldn't be against your business but would be in support of it so you could have a successful business. Uh, or let's say that you have a girl that you want to fall in love with you and you want to get the god's favor in that. You take your animal to the temple so that she will fall in love with you. Um, that's a good way to do it, right? A good way to get a date. Uh, let's say you have a loved one that's sick, or maybe there's some other crisis in your life that you need divine intervention to help you with. Whatever the case may be, if you have some big need in your life, you go to the local temple, you take your animal, and you offer it to Apollo. Now, at the temple, the priests would butcher the animal. You, as the worshiper, would get to eat part of it, uh, the priest gets to eat part of it. That's one of the, the ways that priests support themselves is they get to take part of the animal for their food. And then the rest of the meat, the priest would take to the local market, right? The agora, right? The place where everyone else goes to buy their food and he would sell the rest of the goat because a goat's bigger than just you and a priest can eat together. I don't know the last time you butchered a goat, but it makes a lot of meat. And you take it to the local market and then they would sell it along with all the other meat that people have at the market that everyone goes to to buy their groceries for the day. Okay? So, a good percentage of the meat that would end up in a local marketplace would have been part of idol worship earlier in the day. Now, another piece of their world is let's say that you were a businessman and you wanted to host a business meeting, or maybe it's a political meeting. Uh, you've got a local senator that you want to support, or somebody that you want to have representing your particular constituency, um, and you want to go out to eat to a restaurant. Okay, or maybe your bowling league just won a championship, and you want to go to a restaurant to celebrate. Right? You don't get to go to the local Applebee's and get a table for everybody, right? That's not a thing in the ancient world. Okay, so what you do is you go to a local temple. Okay, temples were their restaurants in the ancient world. Uh, that's where you could go to have a big gathering of people come together for a big meal if you didn't want to do it at your house. Now, let's imagine that you're a tent maker, uh, and the tent maker's guild is having a party up at Apollo's temple. Uh, you want to go if you're a tent maker. You want to find out what all the other businesses are doing. You want to be part of the group. Now, what would happen at Apollo's temple, um, it's not overtly religious, but what they would do is they would pour out a little bit for the patron god. Uh, they would also say a prayer to Apollo, thanking him for the blessings on the tent maker's guild. Okay, now, let's say you're a tent maker and you could care less about Apollo. You don't even believe in all of that. Uh, you don't care about going to the temple, but you care a lot about going to the meeting. Okay, so let's imagine you are a Jew or a Christian living in the ancient world. Now you have some moral questions to answer. Okay, first off, you don't believe in Apollo. You're a Jew or a Christian. You know better. You know how many gods there are up there. There's just the one God. You know that all these other gods that the Romans and the Greeks are worshiping, it's just a bunch of nonsense. You don't buy into any of that. 
Okay, also, you know that this elaborate building that they've constructed as a temple doesn't house a god. There's no god living in that temple. Um, it's just a big building. Okay? You also know that this is a place where pagans like to go and worship. Right? But what are you supposed to do when you need to go to a business meeting and it's being held at the temple? Are you allowed to go? Can you go to the Tent Makers Guild meeting up at Apollo's temple? Okay, also, another question you have to answer is, let's say that I want to have lamb chops for dinner. So I go to the local meat market and I see all the different cuts of meat sitting out on somebody's table. I don't know which cuts of meat just came from the field behind the market or which ones came down from the temple on the hill. Okay, I can't tell the difference because on the table it's all just meat. So, am I allowed to eat meat that's sitting on a table that I buy at the market if there is a good chance that it could have been offered to an idol earlier in the day? Right? So, two different questions. One, can I go to meetings that aren't held, you know, in a nice place, but instead are held at a temple? And two, am I allowed to buy meat that might have been used in an idol's sacrifice? Okay, so, for this reason, many Jews and then later Christians would not buy meat at a market unless the butcher was Jewish. Okay, most major cities at this time would have a Jewish butcher, but a lot of places like Corinth, which are pretty far away, wouldn't have a Jewish butcher. And so if you were living there, most people would have just been vegetarians if you want to follow the living God. Okay, but on the other end of that spectrum, there were some people who thought, who cares? Meat is meat. I'm not responsible for what happened to that cut of beef before it got to me. I have no way of knowing what happened to it. I'm not responsible for it. Meat is just meat. I can eat it if I want to. Also, I know that if I'm a tent maker and I go to the tent makers guild, guild meeting up at Apollo's temple, that's just a building. There's no God there. I can sit there while someone says some prayer that doesn't mean anything. If they want to pour out a drink offering, that's no skin off my back. What do I care about that? I can go to a meeting if I want to. Who cares? It's a bunch of pagans doing pagan things. They're going to do what they're going to do. But on Sunday morning, I'm going to go worship the living God. Right? And so who, here are the two big questions that they had, had to answer living in Paul's day. Uh, can you eat meat from the market if you don't know where it came from? Is question one. Question two, can you go to a dinner that's hosted in a pagan temple? Right? Now, how many of us are worried about these questions tomorrow morning? Um, absolutely, yeah, none of us, right? These are not things that are existing in our world. And yeah, I think that the way Paul will go about answering these questions, which he's going to do over the next couple chapters here in 1 Corinthians, uh, is pretty informative to how we are supposed to get along with each other as Christians in the church. And I know we like to think of ourselves as surrounded by people who think like us, but we need to wake up to the reality that we as Christians are living in a world that is often hostile to our faith. How do we live as people living for Jesus when so many people in the world around us are not? Okay? I think this will help with that. Fair enough? All right, regarding the, the first of these questions. You remember a few years back when a bunch of people were boycotting Chick-fil-A right over their political stance on gay rights, I think it was? Okay, there's a whole big brouhaha about that. My favorite response to that was one of the late night comedians. I think it was Conan O'Brien. He put up a tweet saying, you know what? I really want to go to lunch at Arby's today, but I don't know where they stand on the refugee crisis in Sudan. Okay. Which is funny, right? His point was, you know, sometimes a sandwich is just a sandwich, right? 
All right, as far as number two goes, uh, I remember once a few years ago, we were in New Mexico, and I don't remember what the group was that we were, we were interested in, but there was some big advertisement. Some band was coming to play in Albuquerque, and Rachel was interested in this band, and so we said in front of her mother, you know, we should go see that band playing here in Albuquerque because they're coming to town. Right? And her mom got upset about that. She said, you can't go see that band because they're playing at a casino and gambling is wrong. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to spend all our college money on the craps table, right? I just want to go see a band play. I don't care if it's in a casino. Okay? We didn't go see the band, by the way. Okay, but these are the issues that Paul will address in the next couple of chapters. Again, even though we live in a very different world and we're not worried about meat, sacrifice to idols, I, I think the principles that Paul lays out are extremely helpful to who we are as Christians. All right, so notice our text. This is 1 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we possess all knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. All right, so it's a fairly long text, um, and I know that as a gospel preacher, I'm supposed to have three points, but I've really only got one point for you this morning. Uh, if you're taking notes, please write this down on the front of your bulletin, or if you're the kind of person that likes to write in your Bible, this is the one thing. Just jot this in the margin next to 1 Corinthians 8 in your Bible. Okay, here's the one idea. Love is more important than knowledge. Okay? Love is always more important than knowledge. I want us to break down this passage just a little bit. Notice again the first couple lines of this. In 8, 1 through 3, he starts, he says, you know, we know that, quote, we possess all knowledge. Right? Again, like the last couple of passages we've looked at over the last few weeks, Paul is taking a quote from the Corinthians, something that they were saying. This may even be something they had heard Paul say before, right? Paul says in some other letters, right, we as Christians, because of Christ revealed, now possess all the knowledge that we need, right? So they were taking that quote, and then they were making it mean something that Paul says, well, kind of, but not exactly, 
Right? They were taking it and misinterpreting it. He says, kind of true, but... He says, but we know that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. In other words, the Corinthians are smart people. And they know that Apollo and Zeus and Aphrodite aren't real. They know that those pagan temples are just elaborate buildings. Okay, and so Paul will later say, you can eat meat that comes from the market and just don't worry about it. If some pagan prayed over some meat before you got it, that doesn't change anything for you. In the same way that if we were to go to McDonald's and go through the drive-thru and the teenager cooking your Big Mac prayed to Thor over it before it went out the window to your car, that doesn't change it for you. It's still not a very good burger, right? Either way. You should have gone to five guys. You really should have. Okay, I can't be responsible for what happens to everything before it comes to me. So what am I responsible for? Right? Notice verse 2. It says, Those who think they know something yet do not know as they ought to know. But whoever loves is, and notice he doesn't say whoever loves knows God. Instead, he flips it and he says whoever loves God is known by God. That's significant. You know, we think we know a lot of stuff. And maybe we do. Maybe we're even right about the stuff that we know. But what's more important than having all the correct knowledge? Love. Okay, and what happens when we love? Paul says if we will do a good job of loving, then we will be known by God. You really want to get it right? It doesn't come by just increasing your knowledge. It comes by learning how to love and to love well. Again, I got one point, and it's love is more important than knowledge. By the way, if you didn't write that down yet, write that down. Someday, I will die. Sorry to get morbid. Spoiler alert, you will too, okay? So someday when I die, do you think that I can go before God and say, Lord, I got three theological degrees from prestigious universities. Okay, there were at least a handful of people that called me Dr. Chisholm. Okay? Be impressed, God. Also, Lord, you should see how many books I had in my office back where I worked. Man, I had a mountain of books that I read. You should be impressed, Lord. And Lord, if I could show you my phone, I could show you the hours and hours of podcasts that I listen to all about increasing my knowledge. God, aren't you impressed with how much I learned, how much I know about you? And God, I learned some Greek and Hebrew in my life. They're not as good as they should be, right? But I learned it. God, be impressed. How impressed do you think God's going to be? Okay. The measure of success in this life is not about how much I know. It's about how much I love. Okay, because at the end of the day, what I want more than anything is I want to be known by God. That's right, Luke. Right, I want to tell you about two different church leaders that I worked with in Texas uh, back when I was preaching in Texas. Right, the first was an older gentleman, um, and to be charitable, he wasn't um, the smartest man you've ever met in your life. Okay? Uh, he didn't climb very high in his career. Uh, he ended his career as a junior high girls basketball coach. Okay? Nothing wrong with that at all. 
uh, but he wanted to do other things with his life. He had bigger dreams than that, and he just wasn't able to do them. Uh, he wasn't very good at managing money. He lived in a very modest house, dressed very modestly. Uh, by any measure of worldly success, he didn't have it. Uh, also, he was a very pitiful speaker. Um, I heard him try to speak publicly on a few occasions, and he didn't have any talent for it at all. Not a very charismatic guy whatsoever. You know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. Um, also, this man loved people. He was very tender-hearted. I knew on numerous occasions when people were hurting, he went to them and had a great ability to cry with people while they were hurting. Okay. Um, he was tender-hearted. Whenever the church was going through drama, he felt it very personally. When people were hurting, he sought them out and went to them. All right? That's man number one. You got him in your head? Okay. Man number two, smart guy. One of the smartest men I've ever met. Uh, very clever, very shrewd is probably a good adjective to describe him. Uh, he had lots of success in his business ventures. He made lots of money because he was very smart with that. He was very smart with people a lot of times. Um, lived in a very fancy house, dressed well. Also was a very charismatic speaker. Uh, knew lots of Bible. He could quote to you long passages of Scripture. Uh, he was very uh, gifted as a teacher in certain contexts. Very charismatic as a man. Uh, he also was one of the most prideful men I've ever met in my life. He was incredibly narcissistic. Uh, he often would brag about how people at work feared him. Okay? Um, and he got his way about stuff, and he knew how to bully his way through things when he needed to. And he took pride in that. Okay, you got these two men in your heads? All right. Uh, about this time, when Luke was just a baby, okay, and again, he's nine years old, so this is going back a few years, uh, he needed another open heart surgery, and it was a pretty risky surgery. And in the spirit of James chapter 5, which says whenever you're sick, you should call in leaders of the church to come in and pray over you, uh, we wanted to do that, right? Before his surgery, we wanted some good prayers laying on of hands to pray for our baby who had to go into surgery. Which one of those men do you think I called to come pray over my son? You think it was the really smart one who had no heart? Or the humbler man who had all kinds of heart? Right? It's not even a question, okay? There was no question at all. It was a no-brainer. Why? Because love wins every time. Now, if you've been to my Sunday morning Bible class uh, for the last few weeks, you've heard this quote. We covered this just a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's amazingly applicable to our text. This is uh, from a preacher up in Toronto. He says this. He says, work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency, and then later he says, competency gets you in the room. Character keeps you in the room. I think that's true. Now, uh, before anyone writes me an angry email, because sometimes you do, um, am I saying that knowledge doesn't matter? Am I saying you don't need to study your Bible, you just need to learn how to love people good? Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not it at all. Am I saying that we shouldn't work diligently on increasing our competency and getting better at the things that God has gifted us with? No. I mean, obviously, I think all of us should work on our knowledge and on our skills. I think 
almost, well, no, I was about to say almost, but I take out the almost. I think all of us need to work harder at studying our Bibles and learning stuff. I think we all need to work on expanding our knowledge. I think all of us need to work on whatever skills God has given me, whatever skills God has given you, work at getting better at those things, right? This is not an excuse to be lazy with our competency, right? But what am I saying? Well, Paul's going to make it pretty clear in 1 Corinthians 13, if you have all the gifts in the world but don't have love, how much is it worth? Not at all. Okay, and we'll get there in a few weeks. Right, it doesn't matter how smart I am, how talented I am, how funny I am. It doesn't even matter how good looking I am. Okay, if I can't love people well, I'm not going to serve them well in the name of Jesus. All right, a couple quick thoughts on this and then we'll be done. All right, you can judge me for this if you want to. Um, But sometimes, uh, my wife and I watch movies and TV shows that use adult language. I know, I know. Gasps all around. Not everything we watch in our house is G or PG rated. Occasionally, we watch things that are made for more mature audiences. Now, again, don't take that the wrong way. There's a lot of stuff that I don't watch because I'm a Christian and I don't think you should just watch everything, okay? Uh, But neither Rachel or I have had real struggles with the language that we use. And so just because something uses some adult language isn't going to disqualify it for us to watch it. Again, you can judge me for that if you want to. I'm okay with that, right? Now, we are also very careful, though, not to watch any shows that include adult language until after 8.30, Because what happens at 8.30? We put our kids in bed. And I wouldn't watch those shows in front of my children. Now, is the reason I wouldn't watch those shows in front of my kids because I'm ashamed of them? No. Uh, It's because my children don't possess the maturity necessary to know that they shouldn't repeat everything that they hear. In fact, they're really good at repeating everything that they hear. For instance, calling someone a moron on the highway sounds a lot better out of my mouth than it does when I hear my kids saying it, right? That's it's different. You, you hear things differently when little ears are around. All right. I will refrain from watching things that I think are okay because I don't want to lead my children into inappropriate behavior. You see where I'm going with this? All right. Notice what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 8. He says, Therefore, If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Okay, so Paul says, if your behavior, even if it's something okay like eating meat that you don't know the origin of, you don't know if it was using a sacrifice to an idol or not, if that causes someone who is less mature to fall into sin, then that's not loving and it's not okay. Right? In other words, if my eating meat that I bought at the market causes someone to say, oh, well, maybe it is okay to go and offer meat to idols, and then they go and offer meat to an idol, uh, that wasn't loving for me to do. If what I can do in freedom causes someone else to stumble, then it's not loving, and therefore it is not okay. Pretty straightforward. That work? Now, we talked about this at length when we did our series on Romans several months ago, so I won't rehash all of that. Uh, But what this doesn't mean, what Paul is not saying, is that then the most narrow-minded Christian in a church gets to set the agenda for everybody. We are not advocating that the least mature person sets the agenda for everybody else, or that the person who is easily offended at everything gets to say, well, I don't like that you sang that one song, so we're never going to get to sing it again. That's not the point. That is not what Paul is saying. You can't say, well, 
I think that Christians shouldn't listen to rock and roll. And so if you do, you're violating 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, no, that's not what it's talking about, right? My listening to rock and roll in my car is not violating your conscience. There's a difference. What we're talking about is leading someone else into sin. If someone sees me doing something and that leads them into sinful behavior, then it's not loving for me to do. So it is not okay for someone to say, well, I don't like what so-and-so is doing. Okay, if it's not leading that person into sin, okay, then that's a different thing and we can address that with different texts. Fair enough? Ultimately, it comes back to living in a way that prioritizes love over knowledge. All of us as we live our lives, especially as we live our lives in community, right? Because Jesus has given us this community of believers as the bride of Christ coming together as brothers and sisters in his kingdom. Right? As we're living life together, am I living in a way that actually loves you more than it loves me? It's amazing how much of the Bible comes back to living more selflessly for the other. Again, it's about being like Jesus. Am I loving you the way that Jesus loves me? After all, Jesus gave his life for me, am I willing to give up even some of my freedoms and some things that are probably okay for the sake of loving you? Do we really love each other? So I think if we could get to the point where we love each other, if we could do that well enough, man, the world wouldn't be able to touch us. We could do amazing things for the glory of Christ. Fair enough? All right, so your homework is, let's examine our lives this week. Let's think about the things that we're doing. Let's think about the ways that we conduct ourselves and seriously ask ourselves a question. Am I truly loving other people in the name of Jesus Christ? All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. There's something that's going on in your life that you would like for us to pray with you over, or if you would like to talk about, uh, we would love to do that. This is a time in our service where we as the church want to be here for you. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing. Mm -hmm.